All it takes is a click to listen to RTI online. Get exercise for your finger and exercise for your mind at english.rti.org.tw. You're listening to Radio Taiwan International. Up ahead this hour, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight. But first, we bring you over to Here in Taiwan. And welcome to another coronavirus edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. Today is Thursday, March 26th. And uh, due to social distancing measures at our station, uh, I'm joined just by Paula today. Yes. It's just the two of us. Just the two of and us. And we're staying more right. than two meters apart, so yes. <laughs> I think we're okay. Up next, why has the presidential office told one organization linked to the UN to get a new pair of glasses? Then we'll be seeing the latest homage to our well-loved health minister. And has the COVID-19 outbreak exposed abuse of Taiwan's generous healthcare system? All that coming up next. Please stick around. Well, at a time like this, you might think that they'd be telling them to get a, a mask on or something like that. But no, it's a new pair of glasses the presidential office says that this organization needs. Right. Um, recently, um, UN Women, which is a United Nations entity, uh, uh, an organization dedicated to gender equality and empowerment of women, uh, in a report done by UN Women, um, um, it lists Taiwan as part of China. And uh, in in its report, um, the UN Women also um, listed uh, 20 um, female presidents or heads of state, mm-hmm. and but excluding Taiwan. So that actually um, angered Taiwan's presidential office because we have um, Taiwan's first female president. Actually, President Tsai was re-elected in January with um, with a 57 percent of the vote. Yeah. So it's quite um, remarkable. A noticeable omission. Yes. But not not unexpected, I wouldn't say. Yes, of course. But the, the president of the office tweeted that, well, if the United Nations really wants to promote gender equality, they probably need a new pair of glasses so that they won't be so narrow-minded, so biased. And they also said that UN Women um, has to face the reality uh, and to recognize that Taiwan's uh, female president, um, President Tsai, uh, has won recognition from the global community. Mm. Well, um, which of the, shall we say, um, I don't know, euphemisms for Taiwan did they end up using? Usually it's like province of China, but some lately they've come out with some kind of confusing ones. Have you seen the one where it's like Taipei and environs? Right, or, or, or Chinese Taipei. <laughs> well, that one kind of, I guess right. we've gotten used to, but Taipei and environs, I mean, we're small, but... I can tell you that if you go to the, the south of Taiwan, that's nowhere in the environs of Taipei. Right. That's the reason why the presidential office is pretty angry. So they think, um, you know, the UN women needs a new pair of glasses so that they can see things clearly and face the reality. Or maybe we just need Photoshop. <laughs> just paste her in. <laughs> Well, one uh, interesting development that's come out of this coronavirus outbreak is 
the sudden celebrity of our health minister, Chen Shizhong, he pretty much in the space of a few weeks. I mean, I think he was pretty popular before, but like now he has like little action figures and stuff. Have you seen these things? Right, he has become. I mean, I think the um, the number one. Yeah,、oh, I think yeah. A- approval rating wise, right?、Maybe. Approval rating, yes. <laughs> Have you seen those? I, don't know, I wish I shouldn't call them action figures. They're more like cardboard cutouts. Cardboard, yes. Actually, Leslie did、uh, make two cardboards. So, like, they they can they they sell them? Where are people getting them from? First of all, and they、um, got. I think you can、um, download them from the from the website. So you print it out and like. Right. It has like different instructions. You fold here, put、right. tab A in slot B, and、right. you get a little pop up、mm-hmm. cardboard thing. And lots of that's become like a a thing lately. Lots of people on Facebook are posting their successful projects. There may even be more than one version. Now、um, he's been represented in latte art form. Wow. <laughs> it looks like.、Um, This is the work of a very talented coffee shop owner in Pingdong County.、Uh, her name is Zheng Xiaoqiao, and she used to be a nurse. And the reason that she's made this little sugary and foam shrine to the health minister is because he has really done some like pep talks to nurses on the front line. In addition to all his other duties, I think he's pretty much on call twenty four seven. I don't know if he gets any sleep. Maybe he doesn't need to. That could be a secret. But uh, anyway, uh, she really wanted to show her appreciation as a former nurse、uh, for his support, and so、uh, she very painstakingly made what she calls a 4D sculpture. Now this is interesting. Not a 3D one. It's called 4D because it can actually like stand up on its own through time. Oh, like it doesn't go flat. Um, usually, if you leave it at sort of room temperature, twenty to thirty minutes, but if you put it in a refrigerator, it'll keep for even longer. And it's like a foam, make very lifelike、uh, foam based. Well, I guess people do like our health minister a lot. And this was not an easy task, even for someone who is experienced in the ways of coffee art.、Um, apparently, it took her four hours to make each version, and the first three of her four attempts. Were scrapped because she felt it did not accurately depict. It says in this article the tired and determined expression on his face. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, well, he has been working really hard recently, especially、um, since the outbreak, because he gives a press conference at two p.m.、Um, every day. And if there are more new cases,、um, you know, he will give a press conference at three p.m. or four p.m. But you know, people see him on TV in the newspaper. Every day, he seems to just always be around, right? Just ready to call up、um, mm-hmm. at any moment. You can't turn on the. Actually, I think I've said this before. We've had a hard time having putting news photos to go with our stories about the outbreak because they're all of him. Yes, wearing the same. He's kind of has a uniform at this point, doesn't he? The same、His、uniform, official the press same, conference clothes. Right, the same place where he is hosts、uh, the. Um, gives a press conference in front of the same banner.、Right. I guess if you're an artist, though, you have a lot of different angles to work with and experiment with. Though, <laughs> so anyway,、um, uh, it features him. Of course, he is sort of a person who lends himself easily to caricature. I think、mm. like political cartoons.、Mm. He he kind of has no, re- memorable features, and、uh, in this sculpture, he is holding a microphone with a speech bubble. On the side with the words "wear a mask, wash your hands frequently, and take your temperature." So, well, he also has a sense of humor. I think a, a couple of days ago, or, or a couple, I mean, a, a week or two weeks ago, he、um, gave reporters、um, chocolate, and because he used to be a dentist, so he told reporters, "Make sure you brush your teeth." <laughs> on top、uh, after, of everything else, right? 
um, yeah, and apparently uh, lots of people have come in to uh, check this sculpture out. Probably not what you want if there's an epidemic on. Mm. Um, but, oh, well, I guess it's good for her business anyway. <laughs> and she does point out that nurses, and I come from a family with lots of nurses, it's true, work very long hours and often go whole like 12 hour shifts without being able to really eat anything because there's no time. So uh, she just appreciated, even though she's no longer a nurse, that the support that the health minister has given them. Well, boy, it's times like these when you really really realize how spoiled we are in terms of the uh, health insurance that we are given uh, from the government. I mean, we do pay into the system, everyone does, but boy, what we get out of it. Unfortunately, I don't know, it lends itself to abuse, doesn't it, sometimes? Right. Uh, One Taiwanese surgeon recently published a story on his Facebook saying that uh, the recent COVID-19 outbreak has underlined a serious problem. I mean, he's talking about Taiwan's um, medical care because uh, because everyone is covered by the national health insurance program. So he thinks that people actually um, abuse the system because you know um, the, the outbreak has actually uh, you know, underlined the, the problem because um, before the outbreak, you know, the people go to um, see their doctors often or they go to the emergency room even though it's not even though it's not something urgent. Right. Right. After the outbreak, the, um, the doctor, the, the, the surgeon said that he discovered, you know, one thing that's really um, strange because all of a sudden, I mean, he, does, he doesn't have a lot, a lot of things to do, you know, during the outbreak because hmm. the government is telling the public that, you know, don't go to the hospital unless you need to. Of course, you know, right. and people want to stay away from the hospital. They want to stay away from the emergency room. But... The surgeon said that before the outbreak, he is really busy from 11 a.m. till 7 or 8 p.m. without having a break. Right now, he's like he said, well, his life is pretty easy. He's able to get a break. But he says that, that emergency room is for someone, is for patients who really need urgent mm. medical care. It's not for someone who have a... Um, we have a headache, a stomach ache. But, yeah. But here in Taiwan, because it's so, everyone's covered by the National Health Insurance Program, so you can go to the emergency room anytime you want. People won't really think twice. It's not that expensive either. Right. It's not expensive at all. And like, right. I've had, at certain times, I've I've been prescribed medication that when I went to the pharmacy to pay for it, I was told, oh, it's, it's covered. You don't have to pay anything for it. And I was like, what? Right. Uh, why, not? So like people... I think get too used to that. And then they think that, uh, well, I have a, a bit of a, I don't know, sort of a, a bit of a cold. Uh, I guess that means I need to go, you know, have an operation immediately. And so they like call the ambulance to come take them. Or people who go and like, I don't know. Have you heard of people who like go and take like second and third opinions about a very simple thing? I, th- I think so. There are people some who people do that. Do, yeah, some and people like, do, do, do that. Why? Just take yes. the medicine you were given the first time. Right. So, so the, the, this doctor surgeons call on the public not to abuse the system, you know, because we have limited, even though Taiwan is famous for its national health ins- insurance program, we have limited uh, medical resources. Right. You know, we shouldn't abuse, this, um, abuse the system or waste our medical resources. I mean, it needs to be financially, you know, soluble mm-hmm. to, for that to keep working. Well, if, if we do follow his advice, though, he could be out of a job for the sound of it. So maybe <laughs> he doesn't want to push that message, message too far. I think on this program, we talked a few days ago about uh, some religious events that have been canceled or moved online to try and get 
keep large groups of people from gathering together. We have some more about that this week, actually. Uh, I think last time we told you about uh, the Dharma Drum Monastery, Mountain Monastery, and a few other large Buddhist organizations, four of them, in fact, that have stopped their traditional prayer meetings and Dharma talks, their uh, sort of lectures on Buddhist scriptures or, you know, talks for, for lay people, and moved them onto live stream. Uh, mm-hmm. I know some Buddhist groups ab- abroad already do that anyway, but um, the idea is that, you know, we want to stop people who normally there can be thousands of people at these larger, you know, gatherings and uh, they want to move them to a safer place. So uh, they interviewed some people who were watching them from home who would normally go in person and they didn't quite feel it was the same, but uh, I guess they're learning to live with it. Uh, but that's not all. Um, there's also been, it looks like, how many are there now? At least, let's see, three large pilgrimages that are very famous in Taiwan, held in honor of the sea goddess Mazu, have also been canceled, including, I mean, some of these attract more than a million people. Uh, and they're canceled indefinitely. Mm-hmm. So that means not rescheduled or anything, just sort of on hold for who knows how long. And uh, finally, churches as well. There is a Catholic community here in Taiwan, for instance, and uh uh, they've been actually suspending, in some cases, their Sunday masses. Uh, one of the churches that's well-known here in Taipei for having a large Filipino congregation, St. Christopher's, uh, has put up a sign that says, closed for pastoral and social purposes indefinitely. That's pretty serious. I mean, Catholics have to go to mass every Sunday and on other days Right, but, but this is not normal times. Right, and so there's a little quote here from, um, it's a brief quote from a Filipino care worker who was lighting a candle at the shrine when the reporter came over and said that they she has not missed mass in 14 years. And she was surprised, but understands because, I mean, especially older members of a congregation or whatever, or people with weakened immune systems, little kids, I mean, it could be dangerous. Uh, but it does appear that not every like organization has sort of hard and fast rules. Uh, the, uh, the, a priest who is a member of the... Chinese Regional Bishops Conference in Taiwan says that every parish decides on its own whether to cancel gatherings and so forth. Um, So a different church in downtown Taipei, Immaculate Conception Cathedral, apparently had its stores open, at least until recently. I don't know if it still is. Uh, But just had people rubbing down their hands with sanitizer and taking their temperature. Also, everyone had to sit a meter apart, so... Mm. I don't know. if you have to. It would feel weird sitting a meter apart from people like that. Like, maybe just... I don't understand why they just, you know, don't continue to have services, but they can go online as well. Um, I guess communion's hard, but... Right. Well, think about this. The 2020 Tokyo Olympics have been, you know, uh, has been postponed. So is that for sure now? They've been talking about that for a long time. Is that for sure? I think it's for sure. The IOC has uh, made its decision. So all kinds of uh, things being canceled here. Uh, I'm not sure when we'll get back to normal. At least so far, we don't have too much like what they call community transmission. It's mostly people getting better in isolation. And so I think we feel pretty safe for the I most part. I think Vice President uh, Chen Jian, he, he himself is also an epidemiologist. He said that uh, we have to wait at least two more months. All right. right. Well, I think if it's just two more months, we can probably do it. At least I feel pretty safe here anyway. With the, It's an abundance of caution, as they say. Well, monasteries and churches may be closing, but one institution that is not closing is pet shelters. And this is a story about a Taipei-based pet photographer who's helping animal shelters 
get their pets adopted by taking their pictures for free. Um, this is actually a former wedding studio photographer. Um, but <laughs> I love this. He said, first of all, there was his love of pets that convinced him to make mm-hmm. the change to pet photography. But also he says that animals are easier to work with. <laughs> I yeah. imagine some wedding photo well, customers. <laughs> that might be true. If some people have you know, interpersonal <laughs> relationship problem, they might, you know, agree to that point of view. Uh, some people are just divas. Right. You know, when they're <laughs> anyway, um, that, anyway, he made the change to pet photography. And um, so he has started looking to, I guess, make individual glamour shots, as it were, to sort of get some pets that maybe may have more trouble finding owners. Uh, you know, a bit of a, a chance, a leg up. And uh, he says that he prefers to capture the natural movements of his subjects, which I think is good because mm. trying to get a cat to sit in a certain position, it's just it's never going to work. Right. They do whatever yeah. they want. <laughs> have you ever tried to pose a cat? But just like works. children, you know. No, they they will do things that's totally unexpected. They can have you can sort of distract them, and maybe dogs right. too with squeaky toys. But right. cats, I don't think that's not going to work on them so mm. much. So, um, uh, and it can be hard to also get them in a in a in a shot because some of them have been abused, and so the, and they don't they're not used to strangers, so they're very frightened, and it takes a long time to earn their trust. So they'll st- sit still for you. Mm. Um, so he says he always tries to find ways to make them feel safe. He also doesn't just, you know, make put them in a photo album or something. He uploads them uh, from the shelter to a Facebook page for his company, which is called Something Studio, and his other platforms, not just as self-promotion, but also because they may have subscribers or people who, you know, visit their page regularly who are also maybe in the market for bringing a new friend home, right? Mm-hmm. Um, so he says it helps improve their chances by getting their, their photos out there. Uh, so far, he works alone, but despite the very heavy workload, and I don't know how, how he gets paid. Do the shelters pay him? It doesn't say. Um, he's going to continue struggling, get, getting through the struggle of uh, the heavy workload so that these pets can get adopted. Uh, he said that there was... For instance, one dog who waited a whole year for adoption, but four days after he posted its picture that he'd taken, it got a, a new owner. Whoa. So it has, it's, it's you know, high points as well as its difficult points. So he says I'm sure his great. picture must be really great. I'd like to see some of them, yeah. yeah. Um, uh, I think that uh, we are increasingly, uh, the other thing too is that, that as pet ownership has gone up dramatically, even as things like, I don't know, the birth rate, have sort of stagnated. Everyone now has a dog or a cat instead, it seems like. So uh, you also, I think, don't have cats? I used to have two cats when I was in grade school. Oh, really? You're right. Oh, who are the cats that I always hear you talking about? Your, are they in your family? Oh, that's my, uh, yeah, that's my nephew's cats. Are they adopted right. too? No, I think they just, um, someone, um, their friends gave, gave the cats to them. Uh, okay, right. well, maybe next time they're looking for a cat, that's a good way to find one. Adopt, don't buy. So that does it for today's edition of Here in Taiwan. I'm John Van Trieste. And I'm Paula Chow. Don't go anywhere just yet. Coming up next, it's Lights, Camera, Asia, and In the Spotlight.
Lights, Camera, Asia. A look at Asian culture and history through the lens of cinema. Hello and welcome to Lights, Camera, Asia. I'm Jake Chen. For the past few weeks, we have been looking at a story of Goodbye Dragon Inn. It was a film released in 2003, and it is about what happens inside an old, decrepit movie theater on its very last day of operation. The film's story can be summarized in one brief sentence. A young gay man looks for potential partners in the theater, and at the same time, a female box office clerk tries to express her interest to her colleague, a projectionist. Both end up not finding what they're looking for, and they leave the theater rather disappointed. And after the final screening wraps up, the projectionist realizes that the box office lady has left him a little gift. And he grabs it and rushes into the rain. The film ends at this point and leaves the ending open to interception, and we, the audience, don't get to know whether the projectionist eventually catches up to the receptionist or not. As you can see, the film's plot really is as bare bones as it gets, but its ingenuity lies in how the story is told. And how the director uses elements in the environment to enhance the somber and melancholic atmosphere. And let's start with the atmosphere. The film opens on a rainy evening, and from the get-go, rain, and in a more general sense, water, is an important motif. In this movie, water is the symbol of love, lust. And all the pent-up emotions that the characters harbor inside of them. We mentioned in previous weeks that the box office clerk has to handle lots of mundane tasks, and one of those tasks is to check whether there's any leakage in the bathrooms and in other parts of the movie theater. And carrying out that task allows her to walk across different parts of the movie, and it allows us. The audience to follow her throughout the movie theater, and we mentioned、uh, when we told the story of the film that the female box office clerk has inherently been suffering from a limb in her left foot. So when she walks, she rather hobbles and walks quite slowly. As I said weeks earlier, this is quite likely an intentional setting. Uh, put in place by the director so that we, the audience, would have plenty of time to soak in the environment. So, what does the box office clerk do throughout the movie? At the beginning, she goes to several bathrooms and she checks if there's any leaking. And then, throughout the movie, she actually sees several places leaking, and in a lot of situations, there is nothing that she can do. And later on in the film, as she was trying to see the projectionist for a second time, as she circles back to find a different entrance to the projection room, there is a little fine detail. 
At one point, the clerk sees that the ceiling is leaking, and she nudges a bucket to the right place so that it will contain the water that's coming down from the roof. This seemingly minute detail actually is a very important gesture. It symbolizes that the woman is trying to contain the love and the interest that is coming out of her. Now, fast forward to closer to the end of the movie, and we see that. The projectionist, the elusive man who barely makes an appearance throughout the entire movie, walks out from the back door of the projection room, and he sees the bucket that, by that point, is filled with water that has been leaking down from the roof. And he didn't think twice about it, nor did he pay any actual attention. He grabs the bucket, and he just pours all the water down the drain. This is an act that, in a way, reciprocates the clerk's motion earlier in the film. The underneath the hidden meaning of this gesture is that, although the woman has been trying to show interest towards the projectionist、uh, by trying to save a bun、uh, to give him as food, he really just never got a chance to see the gesture or to understand it. So that while the woman is trying to contain the water, which is the overflowing of love coming from her, with the bucket. He doesn't care or understand that gesture at all, and all he does is pour all the water out of the bucket, and that's as we said was that. The motif of water also runs in the plot that goes with the young Japanese gay man throughout the movie cinema. If you listened to last week's show, you know that. The man spends a considerable amount of time just wandering throughout different part of the movie theater, looking for potential partners. And the one place where he spends the most time is interestingly the man's bathroom. It is in that place where he stands among a group of men who collectively stand for much, much longer than is necessary in front of urinals. Um, it is also with this group of men that he found out that some of them have been having. Let's just say their own fun time inside a private bathroom stall. So when we look at the bathroom, the first thing that we think of is water, right? I mean, let's be straight and honest. There's plenty of that flowing around in the bathroom, and for the man in the real world, it also makes the most sense to look for a potential partner in the bathroom, despite the fact that he never finds one at the end. So when we keep our eyes fixed on the bathroom. It is towards the end of the movie that the box office clerk walks through the entire movie theater for one final time, and to clean up a lot of corners. One of the last places that she walks through and cleans is the men's and women's bathroom. The director intentionally gives a long take when the woman goes through each and every urinal and turns the valve for the flushing water off. The gesture of turning off the valve also shows that she herself has been left thoroughly disappointed、uh, after her journey of showing interest and love to the projectionist didn't yield anything. Although we, the audience, have seen the man once or twice throughout the film, the box office clerk never sees him. So in her mind, her intention was never reciprocated, and therefore, as a result, she has decided. To no longer court after the man, hence the gesture of turning off the water valves. She's no longer showing love or interest in the movie. 
so as we go to the final scene of the movie everyone is leaving in the rain and this leaves me somewhat optimistic towards the film's ending although as i said earlier the film leaves an open ending to whether the projectionist will chase after the woman or not but because it is still raining when the movie ends and when everybody leaves the theater I believe there is still the possibility of them showing love to one another and for a relationship to blossom. So this is just one of the many, many fine details that director Cai Mingliang has implemented throughout the movie Goodbye Dragon Inn. And if we have time, we could also look at the framing, the almost total absence of music until the very last scene of the movie and also the use of static camera positions throughout the film. The film just oozes its own visual and audio signature from the very first frame all the way to the end. And uh, I honestly like the film so much that I can literally talk about it for days and days on end. And unfortunately, this is also the right point, I think, to segue into a goodbye. And I think it's a final goodbye, not just for this episode, but for the show and for my career here at the radio station in general. Making Lights Camera Asia has been a really fun journey. And it is especially meaningful for me because I majored in film studies when I enrolled in university more than 10 years ago. And to have a space and a platform to analyze uh, one classic movie after another and to really go into details of how the filmmakers have showcased uh, their talent and to tell great touching stories has been nothing but fun and fulfilling to me. And I sincerely hope that my interest and my love for the films have shined through uh, in the many many shows that i have produced in the last year or so but um, uh, as i said earlier my career here at the radio station will conclude at this point and this will be the final episode of lights camera asia i hope you have enjoyed this movie and not just this one goodbye dragon inn when we look at the many films that we look at at the end i can honestly say that each and every one of them are not just high quality movies in their own right they represent a piece of culture in the uh, areas and regions where they're from what we talk about in the mood for love that is a landmark film in hong kong cinema when we talk about the departure or okuribito that is one of the most well-known japanese films in the western world same goes for goodbye dragon inn so if you have a chance Please go back to the catalog and listen to some of the reruns and spend the time, if possible, to watch some of the movies. I firmly believe that these movies will open a new world to you and give you a different gaze into the world that is Asia. So, thank you for one final time. This is Jake Chen, and this has been Lights Camera Asia. And with that, the curtain goes down. Goodbye.
Dinner is served. Join Andrew Ryan and Ellen Chu as they sample their way through Taiwan's culinary delights. Andrew, I thought we said no more intestines. <clears throat> That's on Feast Meets West every Saturday, only on Radio Taiwan International, Radio for Refined Palates. Ladies and gentlemen, here's Shirley Lin with In the Spotlight. Welcome to In the Spotlight. I'm Shirley Lin. Today, my guest is Wan Zihao. <laughs> Neil Wan. Neil. Yeah, I'm going to call you Neil. Okay. Who is the owner of a Little New York LNY Pizzeria. And he's also a DJ going by the name DJ Ronnie. And I think you're still a model, right? Well, you used to be a model. <laughs> I still model sometimes. You still model sometimes, right? A little bit. Yeah, so I put all that in, even though you didn't tell me to say those things. So anyway, let's just get right off to the topic here. And that is, why own a pizza restaurant? Why? You say it's a long story, so I want to yeah, hear it. it's a long story. Yeah. First of all, my listeners, Neil is from Taiwan. He's 100% Taiwanese. He's a tall guy at 187 centimeters, but he's a pizzeria owner. So... Because, you know, I don't know, maybe I'm biased because I think that it should be, um, you know, someone who owns a pizza here in Taiwan would be someone that like an expat, you know, an American yeah. or Italian guy, you know, who's here, you know, setting down in Taiwan and then open a pizza place. I can understand that. But you're Taiwanese and you open a pizza place. So, and you say you have a long story. Let's hear it. Yeah. Actually, when I just start, I had this place. Uh, before that, I never think about I'm going to do pizza. Never gonna think um, I will have a restaurant or anything else like this. But I always had a dream like uh, creating a system, like the business, what can run money. Like uh, that's my automatic goal. Right. You said you studied business management yes. in school, in, in, in college. School, in college, yeah. Um, you wanted to study that. I wanted to start a, a business I, uh, that can self-run and makes money. And okay. That's a business insight. But sell what? Sell anything. Oh, sell anything. Sell anything. You and know. make money. Yeah, and make money. That, <laughs> that was my uh, original goal. So are your parents also like, you know, business owners? They really know how to make money or something? No, no, no. They are very regular office worker okay just like a monday to friday like everyone else really yeah so oh. I, I had this dream okay and, and i met a guy who very important for uh, the pizzeria yeah it was my he was my uh, business partner uh-huh i mean now at now we, oh, we, oh. we're not partner right now oh okay okay yeah, but we met five years ago mm -hmm. and he's the one who actually funny guy just like you say like uh, uh like expat Living in Taiwan and opened up a pizzeria. Yeah. And I had experience working in a restaurant before. So we met and I saw him open up a pizzeria and I kind of helped in the first. And then he asked me for a partnership because I'm kind of helping a lot for the small start company. And he found uh, I'm the trustworthy guy. Why pizza though? I mean, you love pizza yourself. You must love it, right? I love it, for sure. I, <laughs> I really like pizza, especially I know how to make good pizza right now. Oh, yeah. yeah. So anyway, you learned it from this guy? Uh, I, how I, to make pizza? I can make pizza myself before I met this guy. Okay, how did you learn how to make pizza yourself? Uh, I worked in an Italian restaurant before, in Taipei. Uh, so, oh, in Taipei. Yeah, so I, I know a basic stuff of uh, pizza, 
Just the flour and water and oil and salt. So um, what kind of pizza do you make? We make um, New York style pizza. What does that mean? It's um, large pie and pizza by the slice, uh, thin and crispy. Okay, thin and crispy, yeah. Thin and crispy. And and so you have uh, one of those ovens, like the, what the do you call it? The brick, brick oven. Uh, yeah, brick oven. Unfortunately, we don't oh. have that brick oven. Oh, so you use the... We use the electronic. Right, electronic, mm. one of those. Oh, I think I see them in, I don't know, on But TV, brick like oven a, is always the best. I know it's the, the best. best. The best. Couldn't you have built one yourself? I would like to in the future. When oh, in the future. Yeah, when we're getting better. Oh, oh, okay. Although I haven't tried the pizza yet, but I think um, from the look of it, because I've gone on your Facebook page, it looks really delicious. It Thank looks you. like the kind of pizza I like. You. If you can already, you know, make such good pizza using electric ones, I couldn't imagine you making even better, more delicious pizza using the those brick ovens. Yes, for sure. Yeah, but I mean, you can just build one yourself, right? No, it's not like that. Uh, I think I'm, I'm, I'm think that's, that's possible. Yeah. Build one myself, yeah. but I haven't really think about it yet. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's a big work to do. Yeah. Well, I mean, or I mean, right now you're doing pretty well Thank at you. this restaurant, right? You've opened two shops right now, mm. two stores, two I restaurants. I, I think I have a lot of brave in doing this. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Why? Why do you say that? Because right now the situation is not like really positive. Oh the, really? The whole the 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 coronavirus stuff. Oh, so I just opened course. my second store about like three weeks. <gasps> just three weeks ago. Yeah, three weeks ago. <laughs> so it comes comes with a lot of pressure. Yeah. But I always wanted to open. You know, I always wanted to improve myself. I want to show my learning your team. Uh-huh. I want to show them like I have a determination to build this pizza brand in Taipei. So uh-huh. I I gotta do it. How many people do uh, do you have on staff? I work with the uh, thirteen. People, 13. like full-time people and few part-time, like three to five, three to five part-time. That's talking a lot of salaries to give yeah, yeah, away. Yeah. It is, yes. You learned how to make pizza from someone who's Italian here in Taipei, right? So do you think it's easy to make good pizza? Um, if you know how to do it, you can say easy. But you're going to find the, the best uh, way to prove the dough and the water uh, ratio, you know, sugar ratio, what kind of yeast, what kind of temperature, humidity, and the temperature of the oven. That's hard part. And you're going to maintain every day the same quality. Uh, that could be hard. So yeah. the good pizzeria, it's a well-management resort. And uh, they can provide every day the dough is super good. Mm. That's, uh, that's where the hard part is. Because mm. most uh, pizzeria, if you have a down business, Sometimes you have a high business. So when you have a down business, the dough can last in the fridge for over three days, four days. And you're going to decide if you're going to use the dough or not. Because the quality is different every day. So if you go over three or four days after that, you have to throw, the, throw it away? You, you probably have to throw it away. Um, so you always make the dough ahead of time? You don't make it to order? Like when people oh, order, then you make the dough? We make the pizza make to all the, the pizza but the dough we're gonna make at least like 48 hours ago oh i didn't know that yeah i thought when you say make the pizza that means from everything from the dough uh, to no, the dough we're gonna ferment at least 48 hours fermentation <gasps> is the the most important part of a good pizza dough 
Wow, I did not know That's that. That's kind of like science tech. You you can have like, uh, if you just mix the flour and water right now and you yeast for two hours, you bake it. There's no taste. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. The taste is come from like fermentation. The, from, oh, oh, I see. Yeah. Oh, I didn't know that. It's uh, it's fun to know. You're listening to In the Spotlight with Shirley Lin. Now, you decided on thin crust. Yes. Is it because you think Taiwanese people mostly like thin crust as opposed to, I don't know, thick crust? Hmm. Uh, there's a one thick crust. It's called Chicago dish. Oh, uh, dip that's dish. very thick. Dip oh, dish. I know. Deep dish. So that's I had it before. Dish. I didn't yes. really like it. You didn't really like uh, it? It's kind of like I can't finish the whole pie. And oh. I feel like too much cheese. I, I used to live in Boston. Okay. And they have, you know, Chicago deep, deep dish, dish pizza. Dip, yeah. yeah, it's okay, but it's very filling. Yes. Just one small slice, yes. you can just fill you up, you know. Yes, yes. Come to think of it now, I kind of miss it. <laughs> but um, I'm not sure about, you know, this other, oh, all right, I'll just say it, Pizza Hut. Oh, Pizza Hut. Okay. Yeah. okay, theirs is not not considered thin crust because yours is thinner than theirs, right? I think it's a now, little bit thinner. Yeah, a right. little bit. And so theirs, they kind of experiment with different fillings in the dough, remember? Mm. They put like sausages or they put like, you know, cheese. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm yeah, really yeah. not sure about those. The end, right? The end part. Yeah, the part. end part. Yes. Yeah, the end part of the yes, pizza, yes, the outside yes. yeah, part of the pizza. Mm. You know, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, how they try those kind of things. But, mm. but um, I don't know. You think that Taiwanese people prefer... Um, burnt, crusty, um, you know, crunchy kind of things. That's why Taiwanese people mm. like deep fried stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, we we love we love yeah, fried chicken. Just yeah, deep like, fried uh, chicken yeah, nuggets, love, mm. uh, which is so bad for you. But anyway, <laughs> but yeah. So you never thought about this. But anyway, the Italian guy that you learned it from, mm. he only taught you how to make thin crust pizza. That's why. I, I learned both ways, like two ways. There's a, a the one style of pizza is Rome pizza. Ro- it's Ro- a flat Rome Rome style. Rome style. It's like a cookie crust, very okay. thin, very thin. Okay. There's no round bread. There's okay. only flat. And I learned the other one is a handcraft pizza. Uh-huh. It's more like Neapolitan style. Okay. Like you got you get like fluffy outside, uh-huh. and but it's still like thin and chewy. Yeah. And I learned this two style. Okay. And so, what's your style my for, for for little New York pizza? Little pizza New York, pizza. it will be thin and crispy. Thin and crispy. And the outside of my dough could be like a baguette. Baguette. It's kind of okay. the texture is a little bit firm, a little bit. Which hard. means hard on the outside and kind hard, of like chewy, chewy on the inside. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's kind of like I'm my style. I'm getting hungry here. <laughs> <laughs> I really like that kind of European style bread. Uh, oh yeah 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 so answer your question about why this kind of style and and about taiwanese how they prefer Prefer. the dough Mm. it really depends because taiwanese bread style like a basu dusi 85 degree yeah you know the bread you you know the brand they sell like low song mian bao all this kind of oh i know 85 degrees c actually sells coffee but they also sell cakes and bread in some places not all but in some yeah and and what about the breads oh so that's that's very taiwanese style bread yeah and it comes with a a very similar to japanese style it's very soft you you have like sweet thing inside the bread but european they don't eat this kind of bread right so it's a different kind of feeling so it's very depends what you prefer right but taiwanese bread the style i 
uh, when I was in LA, I saw the 85 degree C. Yeah. I was a long way outside. People go there by my my <laughs> my memories of bread, like lo song mian bao. Oh, the, I was um, surprised. Like the the people really like this kind of stuff too. Really, that's so interesting. So it very depends right now. <laughs> uh, I'm I'm not gonna be the guy who who stand for my style and always telling this is the best. Uh-huh. This, this is the best only for me, yeah. not for everyone, not for him, not for right. Her. Okay, yeah. we need to clarify something here. Neil mentioned something about rou song mian bao. Yeah. That's uh, bread with uh, these Mine. dried pork flake fillings. Yes, yes. Pork flakes. Yeah, shredded pork or whatever. Mm. Yeah, it's usually carries a sweet taste to it. Mm. Probably too sweet for it's me. Some mayos on it. Yeah, oh, gross. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I don't like the Taiwanese kind of mayo, you know. Yeah, mayonnaise. Anyway, going back on your pizza. So uh, what have you discovered as being the favorite flavor of pizza among Taiwanese people, among your Taiwanese customers? Wait a minute. Do you have mostly Taiwanese customers or expat customers? I would say it's like... Half-half? Uh, um, could be half and half because okay. delivery information we don't know. Okay, what, who's, right. uh, what's uh, what's what's uh, Taiwanese or? Oh wait a minute! So you're saying that mostly you deliver rather than people eating in? We our original store uh, located Yanji. Yes. Uh, that store actually like seventy five percent to eighty percent is by deliver. Oh. So twenty percent to twenty five percent is stay in. Oh, I see. Because we I have see. really good deliver uh, uh, sales. Yeah. So most uh, um, customer we don't know is Taiwanese or foreigner. Oh, okay. But stay in from what I'm, what I see and experience, I think thirty percent uh, expat. Yeah. And seventy percent Taiwanese. Taiwanese. Okay. So anyway, so what do you think are the flavor uh, favorite flavors of your pizza among Taiwanese people? Yes. Um, or among your customers, period. Right know. now, I'm selling, try to like keep authentic enough, like uh, just pepperoni, sausage, oh, yeah. chorizo, jalapeno, uh-huh. cheese, different kind of stuff. I only got one s- uh, flavors. I made like kind of oriental pepper. Oriental pepper? Very like a Taiwanese local pepper. We use so- uh, uh, soy sauce to oh. marinate the pepper. Oh, really? To combine with the chorizo and garlic and tomatoes. That sounds interesting. So that's the only thing I try to twist uh, a local localized pe- uh, flavors. Well, that that's, sounds like something I would like to try. I think Taiwanese, they, they kind of like it. Really? It's good sell. <gasps> Yeah. So actually, you sell authentic, authentic. you know, pizza yeah. flavors, yeah. like the usuals. Yes. What about margarita? Margarita, yeah, we do have. Oh, that's like my favorite. Yeah. <laughs> my if you want to know if the pizza is good, just get the margarita. Margarita, pizza. right? Yeah, for sure. I know. Yes. It's plain, but it's good. Mm. Yeah. It depends it, on like. feels healthy. Yeah, it feels better. Yeah. <laughs> you don't have dogs kind of uh, pepperoni, pepperoni, oil, I know, that's just too much, yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. Oh, I wow. Love, I love margarita, too. Next week. Neil Wan will start by talking about this other thing that he also likes to do. That's being a DJ. For In the Spotlight, I'm Shirley Lin. Thank you for listening to Radio Taiwan International, broadcasting from Taipei, Taiwan. 
Check out our website at english.rti.org.tw. Again, that's english.rti.org.tw for the latest news and features from Taiwan. You can also listen to our programs and watch videos as well. Our 60-minute English language program can also be heard every day at the following times and frequencies. In southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. Again, that's in southern China and South Asia from 1600 to 1700 UTC on 6180 kHz. And in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. Again, that's in Southeast Asia from 0300 to 0400 UTC on 15320 kHz. We'd love to hear from you. Please send your comments to P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Again, that's P.O. Box 123-199, Taipei, Taiwan. Or send an email to rti at rti.org.tw. Again, that's rti at rti.org.tw. Also visit us on Facebook. The address is fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International. Once again, on Facebook, we're located at fb.me forward slash Radio Taiwan International for videos, photos, and news of interest from Taiwan. Thank you once again for listening to Radio Taiwan International.